Hey, this is Mitchell McLam, lead pastor of Sapona Road Church in Fayetteville, North Carolina. We're so excited you found our podcast. Our prayer is that you're blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about Sapona Road Church or would like to give to this ministry, please visit our website at saponaroadchurch.com. We hope you have a great day and enjoy today's message. us to look at Jeremiah chapter 1. I'm going to begin reading uh, in verse 4, and I'm going to read through verse 19. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation today. It says, The Lord gave me this message. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. O sovereign Lord, I said, I can't speak for you. I'm too young. The Lord replied, Don't say I'm too young, for you must go wherever I send you and say whatever I tell you. And don't be afraid of the people, for I will be with you and will protect you. I, the Lord, have spoken. Then the Lord reached out and touched my mouth and said, Look, I've put my words in your mouth. Today I appoint you to stand up against nations and kingdoms. Some you must uproot and tear down, destroy and overthrow. Others you must build up and plant. Then the Lord said to me, Look, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I replied, I see a branch from an almond tree. The Lord said, That's right, and it means that I'm watching. And I'll certainly carry out all my plans. And the Lord spoke to me again and asked, what do you see now? And I replied, I see a pot of boiling water spilling from the north. Yes, the Lord said, for terror from the north will boil out on the people of this land. Listen, I'm calling the armies of the kingdoms of the north to come to Jerusalem. I, the Lord, have spoken. They will set their uh, thrones against the gates of the city. They will attack its walls and all the other towns of Judah. I will pronounce judgment on my people. For all their evil, for deserting me and burning incense to other gods, they will worship, uh, yes, they worship idols made with their own hands. Get up and prepare for action. Go out and tell them everything I tell you to say. Don't be afraid of them, or I will make you look foolish in front of them. For see, today I've made you strong like a fortified city that cannot be captured, like an iron pillar or a bronze wall. You will stand against the whole land, the kings, officials, priests, and people of Judah. They will fight you but they will fail for I am with you and I will take care of you. I, the Lord have spoken. May the Lord bless his word. This calling comes at a time when total uproar is taking place in Jerusalem. And as we read this, even now, I don't know if you hear it, when I read it and audibly hear it, I feel like it's a place that we're planted in right now in this moment. The people have created idols with their own hands. They're worshiping what they want to worship. They're doing what they want to do. And Jeremiah as a prophet has been planted right in the midst of that place. There's a pot of the the imagery of the pot of boiling water, God's wrath being poured out on on the people because of where they failed and the way that they've fallen. And here Jeremiah is who sees it, who sees the the failure, who sees the moral corruption, and he sees all this, and God's instructing him, you're going to do what I'm telling you to do, you're going to say what I'm telling you to say. Can you imagine the pressure that must have been on Jeremiah? I can't imagine what it would feel like, but then again, I kind of can. Because if we take a step back into reality and we look at our own life, 
you and I really are living a very similar situation. There's three different pieces of this puzzle that I want us to look at today. And I want to directly apply them to your life and to my life. First of all, the call that Jeremiah had was divine. It was strictly from God. There's no other place that it could have come from. It had to have come from the Lord Almighty. The psalmist said it like this in Psalm 139, verses 15 and 16. He said, you watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. As I was woven together in the dark of the womb, you saw me before I was born. And every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Jeremiah was told, before I I formed you in your mother's womb, before conception had even taken place. We argue the idea of, of when the point of life begins. That's not the point of this conversation. But if we will read this literally and we take the word of God literally, God already had a plan for the life that had not yet even been conceived. Therefore, how can we argue that there is no life even after the point of conception? As Bible-believing Christians, if we believe Jeremiah's call was legit, we believe that just as the writer of Psalms said, before I was formed in the darkness of the womb, you knew me. Jeremiah's call was, before I ever formed you in your mother's womb, past that point, beyond before I formed you, I knew you, I set you apart, I called you, and I appointed you to stand against the nations. If the calling was on Jeremiah's life before conception, life existed before conception. You with me? That was a side note, won't cost you anything extra. The calling was divine. It had to have been from God. If it hadn't have been, God is the only one that could possibly have ordained Jeremiah, could have set him apart, could have consecrated him, if you will, sanctified him, if you will, whatever word you want to put in there. The New Living Translation breaks us down pretty basic. He set him apart. He made him different. He was the one that wasn't fallen uh, to, to the idols. He was the one that came from a priestly lineage. If you read it, his father was a priest. He came from a place that was just outside of Jerusalem. He, he was able to see Jerusalem, but he was on the outside. He wasn't like them. He wasn't like the people inside the city. He was different. And he was set apart even before this conversation ever takes place. You and I were set apart. We were called before we were ever conceived in the womb, before God ever, before our, our mama and daddy, before you, know, you were ever a twinkle in their eye, if you will, uh, ever in that point, before we were ever even thought about here on earth, God had a plan. He had a calling. He had a purpose that only you can fulfill in your role and only I can fulfill in my role. God's calling is divine. You with me? You've got to understand that from the onset or the rest of this doesn't make a lot of sense. Or the rest of this, realistically, if you don't understand that the calling on your life is divine, then you walk into that calling defeated. Because if I don't walk in the fact that my calling is straight from God, it's not from man. I'm not talking about the calling to preach. I'm not talking about a calling to stand on this pulpit. I'm talking about the calling to be a dad, to be a husband, to be a Christian man of integrity, to be the, the man that God's created and called me to be, to be that person, to be a person that believes and stands on the word of God, to be a person that loves and worships Jesus Christ both privately and publicly, to be that person in the day and age that we live. If there was any other place that calling could come from other than God himself, you would fail. So if we don't understand that, we're walking into it defeated before we ever take a step. The calling 
is divine. It's up to you and I whether we choose to accept it. But I have to tell you that you're chosen and called and appointed and you're set apart. Secondly, the character is doubtful. Jeremiah's response was like so many other people that you read of in Scripture. He said in verse 6, O sovereign Lord, I can't speak for you. I'm too young. Most scholars believe that Jeremiah was around 20 years old whenever God gave him this call. Some say he was even a little younger, that he was a teenager. And instantly, just like you and I so often, maybe we don't audibly voice it, but there's voices in our head, if you will. We hear voices. More times than not, it's Satan trying to feed us full of lies. But instantly, Jeremiah said, I cannot do, God, what you've told me I'm going to do, even though this is a divine call, and even though you created me to fulfill the purpose Do you understand that if the calling was before you were born, before you were conceived, then God created you for the calling and purpose? The calling came first, creation came next. You with me? Therefore, God in his perfection created you for the calling. That's heavy. Because that destroys and squashes every bit of doubt of our human ability and our physical ability and our confidence that we have in ourselves or our lack of confidence that we have in ourselves. Jeremiah said, I'm too young. Moses said when he was called to lead the people out of Egypt, he said, oh Lord, I'm not very good with words. I've never been and not now. Even though you've spoken to me, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. Solomon said in 1 Kings 3, 7, he said, Now, O Lord God, you have made me king instead of my father David, but I'm like a little child that don't even know his way around. Person after person, just like Jeremiah, are instantly given this insecurity, lack of confidence in their physical ability. They're full of doubt in the call. Jeremiah wasn't, and you and I certainly are not the first ones to ever doubt our ability to do what God's called us to do. And maybe you say, I'm not called to be on stage. I'm not called to pastor. We're called to do so many other things. We're called to be men and women of God in our homes. We're called to lead the places that we work, maybe even as, as an, hourly, say, uh, an hourly wage worker who really is nobody on the totem pole. We're still called to lead the people that, that watch us and that see us. We're called to lead the leaders, if you will, by our way of integrity, by walking out what it is that God's called us to do, living the life that he's called us to live. We're called to, to feed our, our kids and our, our grandkids. We're called to feed them full of, of the love of Jesus and the love of God. We're called to pray over them and surround them with this, this prayer of protection. We all have a calling. I've heard so often people say that they call, and I, I love it when they do, but at the same time, I, I have to sit back and, and watch. People have to have the pastor to pray for them. I love to pray for people. Please do not misunderstand this entire conversation. I wholeheartedly love it, fully love it. But there's people that have this misconception that if the pastor don't pray, God can't answer. That's completely incorrect. 
Because the pastor, whether it be me or the, the guy down the street or the woman down the street, no matter who it is, is nothing but a man or woman standing in this role that's no different, just part of the flock that God is shepherding. You with me? No different than you are. I'm part of the flock. It just so happens my calling in the flock is a little bit different. We doubt our own ability to reach heaven with our prayers. We doubt God's faithfulness to receive our, our cries and our words crying out for him. Although the word tells us over and over and over, cry out and, and I'll hear you, Lord, I cried out and you heard my cry. We're, we see it over and over, yet we are doubtful in our own prayers reaching heaven. Jeremiah was full of doubt. Yet to Jeremiah, God said, you must go wherever I send you. And say whatever I tell you. To Moses, he said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign that when you brought the people out of Egypt, you'll worship God on this very mountain. And to Joshua, he said, nobody will be able to stand against you as long as you live, for I will be with you as I was with Moses. Jeremiah was doubtful, but yet Jeremiah had a calling to fulfill. And like Jeremiah, you and I have to get to a place where we understand the calling is divine. And if God's given us that calling, whatever it is, we have to rest on the promise of his presence that he's not going to leave us. He's not going to forsake us. He's going to walk with us through the whole journey. Thirdly, the calling is dangerous. You know that well. Read it with me. Verse 8 says, don't be afraid of the people, for I will be with you and protect you. Then again, in verse 17, get up, prepare for action, go out and tell them everything I tell you to say. Don't be afraid of them, or I will make you look foolish in front of them. Another translation said, don't be afraid of them, or I will make you afraid in front of them. I don't know about you, but being told don't be afraid before you ever take a step is probably not going to be a good feeling. Right? <laughs> Why would I ever take the step? If I'm told from the beginning, and just put it in this perspective, I've got to we'll drive home today, right? And you're told, on, if I tell you right now, have a great drive, your drive home, be blessed, drive the speed limit, not over it very much. Watch out for the bear, for the deer, for that pothole that's on that road right before you turn in your driveway. Watch out for that car that's going to T-bone you. Don't be afraid, though. You'd rather sit in this parking lot and spend the night, right? And Jeremiah's told, you've got a calling, son uh, but I'm just going to tell you from the onset don't be afraid of what's going to come junk is going to come your way you're going to face opposition you're going to want to be afraid of the people that you stand before you're going to want to be afraid that they're going to take your life you're going to want to be afraid that they're going to destroy you you're going to want to be afraid as you stand before them and tell them that God's about to pour his wrath out on them if they don't completely change their lifestyle. But Jeremiah, if you back down, 
And if you show fear, although I will not leave you because the promise is already there, although I won't leave you, I will make you afraid in front of them. I will make you look foolish in front of them. The calling was dangerous. I mean, realistically, if you read through, we'll get there eventually. They tried to kill him. They wanted him dead because they couldn't handle the truth. They couldn't handle the truth of God. Can't we correlate this with where our life is today? Isn't it realistic that if we try to present truth in a culture of opposition, that we're either shut down and silenced or realistically there's automatically some hatred that stems from somewhere because it's the truth? The whole idea is to love everybody, to be inclusive, and, and, and God is love, and God is love. I intentionally put that on the sign out front, and I'm leaving it just sitting there for a little while. God is love, and there's so much love that has to be shared, but love has to include truth. And our culture tells us that we're not loving other people because we want to present truth. The opposite of that is those that preach love won't accept us because there's truth. With me? The calling is dangerous. Sister Moore gave a prayer request this morning of some missionaries that were kidnapped in Haiti. They were kidnapped because the calling is dangerous. There's places that Christian people can't walk into publicly, even in this country, but especially outside of this country, without being persecuted or killed. All it is is the truth. And you know me and I'll have a conversation about perceived truth and that if you and I disagree on something, although it may, may very well be true to you and my side may very well be true to me, whatever it is, is the perceived truth. Somewhere has to be the actual truth. And we've got to be really intentional. And this is a side note. I'm chasing a rabbit. I don't normally do this. We've got to be very intentional with the way that we live in this city. I had to do a project a couple weeks back that was mind-blowing and eye-opening to me about Cumberland County and Fayetteville. First of all, did you know that Fayetteville is one of the few cities that is switching from a predominantly white community to a predominantly black community because the whites are leaving? Stay with me. Don't leave me. There's a point. We live in a community that is literally split, maybe with a little bit of an advantage, of two political parties that are very different. You with me? Our ethnic backgrounds, the, the educational backgrounds, are extremely diverse. Did you know that most people, like, I think it's like 48% of the people that live in Cumberland County which is not most, I recognize my math, have at least a bachelor's degree, but most, even a, a major percentage of that have a master's to doctorate degree. 
versus the other half have very little education? Here's my point. It has nothing to do with race, white or black living in this community. It has nothing to do with political, Democrat or Republican. It has nothing to do with educated or uneducated. The point is, we are an extremely diverse community in many, many, many ways. So if we are completely divided in so many of these different ways, how is it that we can actually bring unity and live together and live in harmony? You want to know why Fayetteville, North Carolina is full of violence, full of hatred, and full of so many issues? For me, I believe the Lord opened my eyes in this project. It's because we're so different. If we were all alike, we could all get along, right? So that's the culture, but we're the church. So how does the church bridge the gap? The calling is extremely dangerous. People don't want the truth. The truth is that God is love and that God wants unity. He wants us to be able to live in a place where there's so many different ethnic backgrounds and racial uh, races and colors. He wants our churches to be full of color. He wants our churches to be full of different languages. He, he wants all of these different ethnic, these, these uh, uh, relig not religious, these um, blah, 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 blah. economic backgrounds, the educational backgrounds. He wants us all together because none of that matters in the sight of the Lord. Yet we live in a community that is extremely divided because we're extremely different, which makes us unique, very unique. I didn't realize just how unique. So we live here. We are the church here. So we have a calling to bring some kind of unity and help people get along. What is the one thing that we can have all in common? Jesus. I don't care where you come from. I don't care what you look like. We can all have the unity through the blood of Jesus. The calling was dangerous for Jeremiah because Jeremiah had the answer. You and I, whether we realize it or not, have the answer. You just agreed with me, in case you forgot, that you have the answer to the hatred and the division that's in this community. We have the answer. Jeremiah was told in verse 17, get up and prepare for action. Our struggle is we often have the answer, but we're not prepared to present it. We often have the answer. And maybe even mentally we're prepared, but our life has not been an example to prepare us to present it. It was going to be rough for Jeremiah. Rough enough that before he ever even set out, God had to promise a rescue. There's going to be a day that you and I are put in a place where we've got to be rescued. And I think where we get it so wrong so often, and the older that I get, the more mature that I get, the more I learn 
I want to live to be with my family. But in the grand scheme of things, does it really matter if this physical body dies if I'm doing what I'm supposed to do for Jesus? Because this is simply a vessel that's housing my soul. And, and if this temple, if this house is destroyed, this physical body is done, it's unreal. We, so many people are dying around us, even in the last couple weeks. Mike and I have had different connections of young. And by young, I mean like 40s and 50s and 60-year-old people that are, have just passed away in, in a matter of like three to four weeks of, of being sick and three to four weeks of something coming. They're just gone. And we think that our life is so precious. But in reality, it's not this physical life whatsoever that really means anything. It's what I do with this house that I have to live in that allows me to really step in to live life afterwards. It was going to be rough. Jeremiah was told in chapter 15, verse 20. He said, they, if you'll let me interject the culture, the evil all around you will fight against you like an attacking army. But I will make you as secure as a fortified wall of bronze. They will not conquer you, for I'm with you to protect you and rescue you. When Jeremiah was on his last leg physically, I believe he could still stand on the promise, they're not going to destroy me. Even if my body dies right now in this moment, I'm not going to be destroyed. Every Monday morning I wake up. Mondays are horrible, by the way. I got an email last Monday about this article written to preachers about Monday mornings. I wake up and I have to begin thinking through the process. Lord, what in the world am I going to communicate on Sunday? So often at a loss, honestly. I don't have a problem telling you that. On Monday morning, I'm empty. So often confused. And I think that we all are in our own capacity. Because when life throws you a curveball and things get hard, you experience my Monday morning. What do I even say? I just lost this family member that I was so close to. Lord, I don't even understand it. How can you even, I don't even know what to say. How do I even walk through this? My kids are lost and they're dealing with all this, that, and other. Lord, I don't even know how to. That's the same loss and the same place, that's the same low that I experienced on a Monday morning. On a totally different level, I recognize the point is we don't have the words. And God told Jeremiah. He said, look, I've put my words in your mouth. 
And it's amazing because Jeremiah 1.9 says, the Lord reached out and touched my mouth. And then for Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 7 says, he touched my lips. He's talking about with the coal. He says, see, the coals touched your lips. Now your guilt's removed and your sins are forgiven. When God touched their mouth, something happened. For Moses, God straight up asked Moses, who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or don't speak or hear or don't hear or see or don't see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will be with you as you speak and I'll instruct you as what to say. And then we watch this play out through Jesus in Mark chapter 7. When there's a man that's deaf that can't speak, he's a mute, and Jesus leads him away from the crowd. And he put his finger in the man's ears, and then spitting on his own fingers, he touched the man's tongue. Looking up to heaven, he sighed. And he cried out, be open, and instantly the man could hear, and his tongue was freed. We need Jesus to touch our mouth. The calling is dangerous, but the power of our words, which we don't even have yet, are what brings it. God gives you exactly what you need for as long as you need it, as long as we're willing to go and do what it is he's calling us to do. I'll show you a video clip here in a second. Maybe you've seen the movie Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. If you haven't, I'll give you some background of where you're kind of coming in with this short clip. The future of civilization rests on the fate of this one ring. It's been lost for centuries. There's powerful forces. They're searching. They want to get hold of it. They want it to control and the fate has been placed in the hands of this young fellow named Frodo. And this task lies before him to make this journey to a place where this ring can be destroyed once and for all. Watch this video.
So where does it leave us? Jeremiah's call was divine. He was doubtful, yet he could be confident because it was divine. It was a dangerous calling. To uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, and to build and to plant. For him, he was literally being told, you're going to stand against nations. The very nations are going to come against you. God's calling us today to the same thought process. Because maybe it's not nations, but maybe it's souls. Jesus said himself that I'll destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. His physical body had to die so that he could be replanted, if you will, to live again. And by God's grace, if you know Jesus, there were things in your life that had to be rooted out. There were walls in your life that had to be torn down. There were certain things, maybe even relationships, that had to be destroyed. There was things in your life that had to be overthrown so that God could begin to build and plant what he wanted in your life. And so I would challenge you today to say that God's calling you to do this in other people, to be the answer, to be the truth. I don't know why you and I were planted in this point in history. I don't know why you and I were placed here in this community. I don't know why you were put in the family you were put in, why you were put in the land of the free and the home of the brave. I don't know why. I often wonder. But just like Frodo, unfortunately, we can't change that. And whether you accept it or not, God had a purpose and a plan for your life before you were ever conceived in the womb. And God created you as you were formed. We think we have imperfections. We think we're not exactly who we're supposed to be. We don't like the way we feel. We don't like the way that we look. We don't like the way we talk. God formed you to fit the plan. He formed us to fit the purpose. Maybe if we don't like it, it's because we're not conforming to the plan. And you can't change it. And I can't change it. You can run from it. Lord, have mercy on your life if you do. I've done it. But I would have to give the wise words of Gandalf when he said, we don't have the authority to make such decisions. All you can do is decide what to do with the time you've been given. We can rest even in those doubtful seasons because it's a divine call and God's not going to leave. It's dangerous. 
but yet he's there. People are waiting. People in this community, when you walk into a restaurant after a while, you go to Walmart this week, I hope you walk in with a different set of of lenses. Maybe that includes you seeing some major differences in people. But I hope and pray we don't see those differences at a place to bring hatred, but we see those differences at a place to find the love and unity to come together. I walk around and I, I drive around this place totally different now than I did. Because realistically, there's no way without the unifying power of the Holy Spirit There is no way that this place will ever live in peace and harmony. The only answer is the church. It's the only answer. Would you pray with me? Father, I love you. God, I thank you, Lord, for this word today. Lord, I thank you the way that you burned it in my heart. God, I believe that I did my best to communicate it effectively and clearly the way that you would have wanted God, I pray that it's been heard and received in that way. God, I believe that you've got a divine call on our life just like you did on Jeremiah's. God, I believe that this entire thought process, his whole life is a direct place of where we live right now in this day and time in this community, in this nation, Father. Where we live is is in this countercultural place. Our lives of truth, of grace and truth, Lord, are completely against the grain. They're completely against the culture. God, and that leaves us doubtful. Occasionally, it leaves us scared and afraid to speak up or to show the act of love. God, I pray today that as we have read your word to Jeremiah, let us not be afraid. God, because we surely don't want to be made fools in front of them. God, it's a dangerous call. It's not against the people that we see and the differences that we see on the outside that we're really facing, Father, but it is the evil, the principalities of darkness. It's Satan himself that we're having to come against to bring unity and love. Father, to bring the truth to people's hearts so that you can make a difference in their life. God, we literally have to fight hell. to bring this truth to light. God, it's a dangerous call. And there's no question it puts a target on our back. God, but even with that target on my back, I recognize it as a divine call that's straight from you. I don't have to be doubtful. I don't have to be afraid because your presence is always with me. You're willing to, to go to great lengths, just like that friend in that that video clip, Father, you're willing to go to whatever depths, whatever lengths, whatever, whatever oceans got to be crossed, Father, whatever has to happen to stay with me to keep your presence alive in my life. Father, you're willing to do it. I thank you for that, Lord. Family, if you're in the room today and you don't know Jesus, maybe something's been opened in your heart and mind today. You realize God's got a plan you realize that he's got a master plan for your life and you have a choice whether you choose to follow that or not, but I'm telling you, life's so much better if you do. You realize God made you the way he wanted you to be so that you could fulfill that plan.
If you don't know Jesus today, I've got to give you an opportunity to do that. Maybe you're not living right in that relationship with Jesus. Maybe you once had a relationship with him and you no longer are walking with Jesus. I'm not going to embarrass you. Nobody's looking around at you. I just want to ask you, would you slip up your hand so I could pray for you? Hallelujah. Well, I believe that leaves us in a place where we all have this relationship with the Lord. And I've got to tell you today, family, there's a calling on your life. It's a dangerous call, but it's a divine call. You can come up with every excuse you want to come up with. But God created you to be who he needed you to be to fulfill the call and the purpose. I'm asking you, when we leave out of here today, would you join me in accepting that call? When you walk around your streets, when you drive up and down your roads in your community, would you join me in intentionally looking for ways to bring unity, for praying for unity? As I pray in a moment, would you just commit that to the Lord? Father, I thank you for this amazing day today. Lord, I thank you for every person that's been in the room, God, those that have watched online, Lord, those that will watch later. Lord, I thank you, God, that you, you are allowing your word to go forth, God. You're allowing this, this heart for, for the gospel, Lord, this heart for the people, for the souls, Lord, of this community, God, not only this community, but the same could be said for so many other places, Lord. But I believe you're speaking to us in this moment. God, today as we prepare to leave in just a few minutes, God, I pray that as we each in our own way commit our hearts to you, commit ourselves to you, Lord, to follow through with this calling. We accept the dangerous call, but the divine call on our life. We recognize your plan is perfect and pleasing, God. It may not be easy. It may even require death to this physical body at some point in time, God, but it's perfect. Who am I to argue with your perfection? Father, we commit ourselves to you today. We commit ourselves to the calling and the purpose of the gospel today. Let us communicate truth with grace so that lives could be transformed for the kingdom. Father, I pray blessings on your people today. I pray that you would give them grace and peace. Let your face shine on them. God, protect them as they go. Bring us back again in the name of Jesus. I thank you, Lord. Amen and amen.